Then he fixed his eyes upon Tyrion, and Tyrion came near, trembling, and flung himself at the lion's feet. And the lion kissed him and said, Well done, last of the kings of Narnia, who stood firm at the darkest hour. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder that today we're going to be talking about the seventh book in the series, the final book in the series, The Last Battle. The general spoiler warning for the entire Narnia series as well. If you've made it this far, somehow without going through the other ones, I commend you. Uh, But just a heads up, we will go on to tangents into other stories and other pieces of pop culture that we enjoy. We're going to do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way. But again, you know, we got like four of these episodes left. So if we're spoiling stuff at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but today we're going to be discussing the last battle, chapter thirteen. How the dwarfs refuse to be taken in because Chase, the dwarfs are for the dwarfs. They really are. They really are. And if they can't be taken in, then they can't be taken out. Cal, that's what we learned today. Maybe, maybe Chase. To help us understand that, would you give us a summary? I would love to. Uh, so, if you remember. We're all dead, and we're inside the table. Or at least Tyrion would have thought they were inside the little stat- thatch stable. <laughs> but we're in reality, Cal, what? Dead. dead. <laughs> we're all dead. We're all going to be. Um, and I just had a dog toy dropped in my feet, but I'm not editing any of this out. Uh, Tyrion thought they would be inside this little thatch stable still, but in reality, they were on grass with a deep blue sky overhead. The breeze felt pleasant like early summer, uh, but there were fruit trees around them uh, bearing fruit as if it were early fall. Uh, Almost, you could say, like it's timeless there. Um, They all moved towards the trees wanting to pick the fruit that seemed most pleasing to them, but kind of feeling like, surely we couldn't be allowed to pluck this. Like, this can't be for us, can it? But Peter said, it's all right. He has a feeling that they're now in a country where everything is allowed. They began to eat, and it would be impossible to describe how much better it was than any fruit you could possibly eat in our world. You certainly couldn't spend a whole page describing how undescribable it is. Um, When they had eaten, though, Eustace asked Peter to tell them, hey, how did you all get here in the first place? Peter said there wasn't much to tell. He and Edmund were standing on the train platform and saw the train coming in. Kind of seems like it's coming in a little bit too fast around the curve. Huh. But it's funny, though, that their father and mother were probably on the same train, even though Lucy didn't know it, because they were on their way to Bristol, and obviously Edmund's right. This is probably the train they would have been taking, too. They heard a frightful roar, and then something hit them with a bang, but it didn't hurt, though, and... He didn't feel as much scared as excited, and he actually felt a little bit better and lighter. And and then they were all just all here. And uh, Diggory confirmed that they had a similar experience. Uh, he and Polly had just stopped feeling old. And they had been there for a while. Nothing happened. And then Tyrion had come through the door. And that was that. The door was still there. Uh, and it was kind of like attached to the ground like not having any walls around it, kind of growing out of the ground like it was a tree. It appeared to not go anywhere, but if if you put your eye up to look through the cracks, you could see the darkness and bonfire still burning in the lantern waste where they had been in battle and they could hear the voices of the Calermanes. Tyrion noted that the stable inside and the stable outside were two different places. Crazy. Uh, And Diggory confirmed that it's bigger on the inside than the outside. Lucy commented that in their world, too, there was once a stable that held something bigger than their whole world. Tyrion then asked Lucy about her experience, and she recounted arriving there and seeing the cat come in and Tash appearing and all that had occurred with Eustace chiming in to confirm, yeah, that was happening the same time this stuff was happening outside. Uh, She mentioned that Tash had ate Shift the Ape. Uh, and Eustace remarked that he hopes Tash ate the dwarves too. Lucy said, no, they're all still here because 
they're sitting right there. Uh, and she had tried to make friends with them, but it had been no use. She asked Tyrion to give it a try, and even though he was also upset with the dwarves, he obliged. The dwarves sat in a little circle and didn't look around or take notice of the humans till they were very near. The dwarves were indignant and said not to bump into them. It was so dark inside this little stable, and Tyrion and Lucy tried to talk to them and plead with them and tell them, look up, look around, like you're not in the stable, like there's a sky above you, there's trees all around you. They refused to believe this, though. They refused to acknowledge that they weren't in the stable, and even when Lucy pointed out that she could see very clearly what they were wearing and the pipe in one's mouth and tried to hold up a flower for him to smell to show what was really happening, the dwarves were angry and didn't listen. And when Tyrion explained that... uh, and when Tyrion explained that the one talking to them was the Queen Lucy, that Aslan had brought there out of the deep past, the dwarves scoffed and said he needed to stop with all this imaginary Aslan talk. Even then, Aslan himself appeared, bright and golden, and the humans all bowed, and Aslan kissed Tyrion and told him, Well done, the last king of Narnia, who stood firm at the darkest hour. Lucy asked him if anything could be done for these dwarves. And Aslan said he would show her what he could do and not do. He bent near to the dwarves and gave a low growl that set the air shaking. But the dwarves still complained that this must just be some trick of the people on the other side of the stable trying to frighten them. Uh, Aslan then raised his head and shook his mane, and a rich feast appeared before them. But even as the dwarves ate it ravenously, they complained of it. Oh, this is just the filthy water of the stable. I can't believe we're subjecting ourselves to this and and suspecting one another of finding better food in the dark than they had and saying that they wouldn't be taken in. They wouldn't be taken in again because the dwarves are for the dwarves. Aslan said nothing could be done for them because they had chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, and they are so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. He then went to the door and said, Now it is time, and then said again loudly enough to shake the stars, Time! Then the, dwar- then the door flew open, and that's where the chapter ends. Time. Time. Space. Reality. Other three infinity stones uh you know how in our world there was once a box that was bigger on the inside than the outside with time in in our world that you know you know who else dealt with time jesus oh i was going for the doctor but i know but i you know the subtlety in this chapter i feel like lucy should have just yelled like, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> and Lucy held a Bible up under the dwarf's nose and said, Do you see the truth now? And he was like, Ugh, get this filth away from me. How I'm dare you? I'm atheist now. I won't be tricked again. Yeah, that's that'll show us. I mean, them. I mean, you. I mean, then Tyrion said, Debate me, coward. <laughs> Somewhere. Uh, what? Every guy who goes to a college campus to debate students is, you know, shaking their fists. But Chase, like you said, we're all dead, right? Like, yeah, we're just going. We're we're just in Narnia heaven now. We're in Narnia purgatory, as far as I can tell. Kind of Narnia purgatory. It's kind of Narnia heaven. Don't look into the allegory too much here because it begins to fall apart. Because while at first you're like, wow, surely. This is heaven because Tyrion thought they were going to be in the stable, but it turns out they're in this beautiful field with blue skies and it's awesome. And they're eating this fruit that like, it looks so appealing that they're almost like nervous to eat it because they're like, surely this has got to be like forbidden. And Peter's like, don't worry. I don't know this for certain, but I'm certain that it's allowed. How do you know, Peter? How do you know? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's aspects of, like, without reading too far into the allegory, because you're right, like, it falls apart completely if you stare at it too hard. Uh, The, like, little bits of imagery are super nice. Like, the, like, feeling of it being the best parts of every season all at once. The idea of these fruit trees that you're finally allowed to eat. 
like would yeah. take the Genesis comparison or even go back to the, like the magician's nephew, like fruit eating, like totally. allowance, not allowance, like all that stuff kind of fits together in a way that is nice that they're in this kind of more garden, like fruit tree garden right. space. It's just also <laughs> the mixture of that with, so how did you die again? And also the dwarves are. Here's the thing. They don't know they're dead yet. Like, Do they not? Because No, because as they're talking, I think they just think they're back in Narnia. Because like, I believe in the next chapter two, Aslan is going to be like, you were in a train crash. Uh, and sorry, spoiler warning. Uh, but if that's not, if that wasn't clear, then you are not reading. <laughs> then somehow you missed out also on the subtlety of Lucy going like, somehow something else that happened in a stable changed our world. Like, you know, I hmm, wonder what she could be talking about. But it's a, it's an interesting thing because they don't think they're dead. Otherwise, they would say, like, we we died. We we're in, you know, this new place. Like, they were just like, yeah, it was super weird. Like, looked like the train was coming a little bit too fast around the corner. And then, boom, here we are. Like, it's so just weird trying to pair that with the, like, we're now in a country where everything is allowed. Like, that right. coexists. Oh, I, I'm with you. This is why. Inherent knowledge of King High King Peter of knowing what isn't isn't allowed but also right. not being like, pieced together man that train seemed like it was going too fast i felt like something ran into me really hard but i stopped hurting yeah i never had pain <laughs> and we'll get into that a little bit more in a second because i got a lot of thoughts on all this too uh but the the aspect like i don't think they know that they're dead because especially they're going to talk later about how they saw tash killing people and so i think they're like oh yeah like we're still alive and yeah like they're all just you know chilling right now um but they still have this idea like oh it's it's narnia so it's probably good and it's fine and you so this is where his allegory really becomes wonky because yeah. it well, is, it's because they're in a pocket dimension and that really are they, in, are they in the garden between the world between worlds they're they're in like a sub pool that like formed when someone splashed too hard it was like one of those underground pools or underwater pools that like somehow also have a different form of water in there yeah 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 it's uh yeah i think we fixed it we solved there we go now it's fine now it's all good but yeah so allegory aside in the next few chapters i think you get some of c.s lewis's most beautiful points of description you also get some really funny things that he does where you're just like, what? Because he goes on this whole thing about these fruit, where he's like, what was this fruit like? Unfortunately, no one can describe a taste. But then he goes on to dedicate like a whole paragraph into trying to describe it. No, the like, fruit is like a whole page. <laughs> right. It's it's like, it's sweeter than this. It's fresher than this. It's It makes these things seem dull. And you know, all he's going into all of these comparisons. And at the very end, he goes, but I can't describe it. <laughs> like, you just, you just yeah. did. Like, you spent a good while doing that. If you can't describe it, just say it's indescribable and you can't put words to it. That's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> C.S. Lewis doesn't know what description is. For an English teacher, man, I'm like, come on now. Like, Those were adjectives you were using, bud. Um, Those are descriptors. But like all that to say, it's it's a really sweet thing, and it kind of displays the country itself and how they're they're moving through this part that is beautiful and it's sweet. And you're going to see that more and more, especially in a couple of chapters when they like the further up and further in that we take our you know the endings that we've done before this book, um, where we get that name from is this idea that it is everything, but it's bigger and better and sweeter and greater than it than it ever had been. Yeah, it also made me think of uh, something I haven't talked about since like the first book of this podcast, but C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, the second book, Paralandria, is a Garden of Eden allegory. And 
there's a similar like fruit description section to that book that this kind of pinged for me as like a yeah. oh yeah this is kind of the same kind of thing he was trying to do there totally so after this fruit description Eustace finally goes like, oh, hey, like BT doves, y'all never actually told us what happened. And Peter's like, eh, not much to tell. We got hit by a train or we thought we were, uh, but we're fine, I guess, uh, you know, transported here. We'll find out later uh, whenever Aslan communicates what our mission is. Uh, but also like our mom and dad were there and like, they're like, yo, wait, what? Yeah. Like, oh, well, we think they were there. Edmund's really good with trains. <laughs> Which Edmund does seem like the kind of guy who would be really into trains, but the uh, the just like side comment that they think their parents were also on this train that we know crashed because we can read. Um, that does that come back up? Do you remember? Because I don't, and I don't think they appear in the new Narnia and New Earth. So are their parents and Susan and the dwarves just hanging out in the dark forever? Is that how this know. ends? Maybe maybe her parents are just chilling with Susan in Los Angeles or wherever she is being heathen, uh, you know, with lipstick. Loving so, her parties, trying to be old and young at the same time. I don't I don't know what happens to their parents. I forgot about this and I was like, that's a weird thing to mention, and I'm pretty sure you're not gonna deal with it later. Yeah, it's a weird thing to mention if you don't resolve it. If you resolve it, it's fine to mention. But I don't, I don't think he resolves it. If they do, cool. But I don't know if they will. Because why wouldn't they be there with them? But, you know, it is what it is. But, you again, you start going into this, like, he's dabbling with these heaven allegories here. Where you begin me going, like, man, like... You know, my knee was hurting, but all of a sudden it wasn't hurting. And then uh, Diggory and Polly are like, man, we we feel way younger. And uh, Jill is like, dude, what what are you talking about? Like, y'all can't be much older than we are. Uh, and Polly's like, well, we used to be, which means like they are now in their like, quote unquote, glorified Narnian bodies. Yeah, uh, they're, like, they're in their ageless form however you want to describe that right because they're dead uh and they're they're young chase i have a question for you who's older diggory and polly or the pevensey children in years lived or in narnian time i'm just take that however you will <laughs> because the pevensey children lived many years in narnia many I, I don't at least like 20. Yeah. Like, like 20 is probably right. And, but from what I'm understanding from this, like Peter doesn't look indefinitely older. He looks kind of his timeless age. Sure. Is Lucy aged up to be Peter's age now? That's never really made clear to me. It kind well, of seems like they're all just kind of, they just kind of are now. They just kind of are. But it's worth the, you know, obviously Diggory and Polly are older. And even through like total time lived, probably still take the cake a little bit. Yeah. Because they're, you know, grandparent age. But the like, you're like, wait a minute. It just, you know, it, it immediately, like, it has nothing to do with this chapter, but, you know, in discussing their age, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a weird question. Yeah, it that is an odd one. And, I mean, there is the, there's also the, like, they have jumped around in age a bunch because they also came back for Caspian after they were made young again as well and they didn't age back up so i don't think they'd return to their age but it's all their age is what they would have lived in human years or on earth years i guess but their like total years lived is gonna be real weird and wonky there uh but you know it's kind of like ang in avatar where like he's technically like 112 yeah but he's really he doesn't quiet. even grow 
ahead of hair until the third season. So like well, he time, so time works he, weird. He grows ahead of hair. He shaves his head because he's a monk. We don't <laughs> learn that until the third season though. <laughs> he was an air nomad. That's no, how he see that time has passed as he's unconscious for three weeks <laughs> and then he wakes up with a full head of hair. It's like what's happening? He shaves his head. That's because he's a monk. <laughs> He's not just a bald kid who in puberty was like, oh, time to grow hair on my head. Well, I mean, look, it's a weird transition because I, I can full disclosure, watched this episode last night. And so it's fresh in my mind. But Azula <laughs> shoots him out of the air with lightning, spoiler alert. Yeah. And, <laughs> and right now. Then the next thing you see is like, oh, he's got a full head of hair. What's going on? It's the lightning. It's it sprung his his hair follicle growth. It's just zapped through. There's a lot of men in our world that would would take that treatment. You would take a lightning bolt for hair growth. Yes. <laughs> oh, Honestly, man. might be less uh, toxic than uh, on the off the show for like prescription yeah. stuff for that world. <laughs> from what I understand, do you think just for him has that as an availability option? Like, just like you can bolt uh, straight to the head. Yeah, you can order that as a prescription service uh, to deliver straight to your door. Just a nice <laughs> lightning bolt to the back. <laughs> Perfect. Well, on that note, Chase, as they're discussing their history and their past and what happened, they're like, yeah, and then we saw y'all come through the door. And they're like, what door? They're like, that one. And there's just, and there's the door, right? Yeah, there's just a the door here. there. Cool imagery. Allegory's weird. And they're like, so they look around it. And there's the door. It's chilling by itself. There's nothing behind it, nothing in front of it. But if you go through it and they begin peering through, it's in the stable. And they begin seeing what's happening. You know, they can see like the Calermines being like, should we go in after Rashida Tarkin? I don't really want to, but like. We don't yeah. Know and that are. really begs the question, like, could. Could the regular, could the dead people go back through the door? It's a whole it, thing I wondered about. And man, I, I thought the same thing. And I didn't know if it was going to be addressed of like, you, like Aslan was going to come in and be like, you cannot enter that which you have left. Or like, you know, some Aslan poetic language or whatever. Um, but nothing. It's just the doors chilling there. And they kind of, then they get the recanting of, of the story of what happened of like, well, you know, we got hit by the train. We're chilling here. We're waiting for this door to open. And then all of a sudden, they're both in the stable in perfect Narnia, but also not because they see the original guard come in, wait to kill people. Uh, the door opens and it's supposed to be the cat, but then Tash is there. Dude gets scared and he cowers. Cat runs in, sees Tash bolts. Tash bonks his nose on the door. Uh, and they're like, okay, like Tom and Jerry, you know, esque stuff right now. Uh, and then the good Calermine guy comes in, sees the guard. He kills the guard, not Tash. Yeah, and Tash just kind of fades in and out of existence, which is just, weird. He poops in and out real quick. Why is he there? Where'd he go? Where'd he come from? Cotton-eyed Tash? We don't know. Uh, and so he's gone. Uh, good Calermine guy kills the other guy, throws him out. And then the like Pevensies were like, well, we like the look of him. Why? Don't know. But you know, something. And so they're like, hey, like, what's going on? And he's like, I have to find Tash. I gotta find Tash. And uh they're there. And then they talk about Shift getting mauled by, yeah. by Tash. With like, uh, well, one peck. One peck. Which come on, man, like you can't put up more than a fight. Like you're an ape, man. Like Apes are strong. Yeah, but I mean, like, Shift has kind of been the worst. He's a coward, for sure. Through the whole thing. It's a whole thing. But it's this it's this weird, like, difference, you know, between what's going on, and like, inside the door and outside. And they, you know, tell this whole story. But as it's, you know, before it's about to be told, 
you know, we feel, we see Lucy speak for the first time. And the first thing she says, obviously, and we've made jokes about it so far, um, is going like, uh, like, you know, Tyrion is like, man, like what's seen from within and, and what's seen from without are like two different places. And Digger is like, yeah, it looks like it's bigger than it is on like, like out, like inside of it is one thing, but it's bigger outside of it. Like once you go through the doors and, you know, it's, it's backward to what you'd be thinking, which, and, and Lucy, and I'm sure this is intended to be both a reference to like Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, but also a very clear cut Jesus reference where she goes, yeah. yes, in our world, too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. And if you weren't aware, Chase, uh, you know, a couple thousand years ago, uh, Jesus, the son of God, God himself, you know, Lord of all creation, was born. And you may be surprised to hear this, not in a hospital nor a palace, but inside a stable. What? It's crazy. Wait. You may not know that she oh, was no. referencing the birth of the Savior, who is also Aslan, according to Aslan. So but you're telling me that the God of the universe was like a baby in a stable? <laughs> Have you ever heard the song Away in a Manger? Yeah, in a manger or is a house, night right? Or any other Christmas song? It's probably going to talk about Jesus being born with a bunch of donkeys and horses and sheep around because he was in a stable. Kel, everybody knows that Christmas is about fighting over Starbucks cups. I thought Christmas was um, when you you put up decorations inside and outside your house yeah. for a short period of time that people may or may not see nor care about then maybe you just live in a unspirited community that doesn't value christmas lights the same the same christmas with the cranks or uh, <laughs> you know the same uh you know escaping christmas or whatever it is like where it's like no we're you know how dare you you know skip christmas you know it's not how this works but yes so if you were not aware listeners not just the you know a reference to like, oh yeah, like the wardrobe was also bigger on the inside, you know, and that was the first book. This was the last book. No, I but didn't also, think about that part. <laughs> I didn't think about I, that part. I don't know if that was I don't even I don't know if that was intended or not. I'm maybe I'm just putting that there because I expected a reference to the wardrobe there. I like that. I think that makes because, sense. Because Did not like, think about it even a little bit. It makes more sense for me to her to go like, yeah, that's kind of how entering Narnia works, where like the inside is, you know, not necessarily indicative of what you would expect, you know, but maybe that's just my expectations. And it wasn't a reference to the wardrobe at all. And it was just Jesus because it's obviously for sure Jesus. Yeah, I think I was so caught up in how ham-fisted the Bible reference was that I missed the Narnia reference. That was, it was right so ham-fisted that you could smell bacon, Chase. Like, yeah. Oh, it was. It was really. It was really salty. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, so yeah, you get this tr- reference, but you see also right after that it says like it was the first time Lucy had spoken. And from the thrill in her voice, Tyrion now knew why. She was drinking everything in even more deeply than the others, and she had been too happy to speak. And she's the one that ends up telling most of the story. But I love this because the through line through the Narnia books has been that Lucy is like your like true believer kind of thing. And she's the one that is the most after Aslan's heart kind of thing. Yeah. And so I love that that's still there where she's just like, this is incredible she still has that sense of wonder unlike susan who obviously is a pagan well susan has has chosen boys and parties over god so don't forget lipstick and nylons uh lipstick nylon boys and parties yes 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 and Um, maturity yeah oh susan um but yeah i i do think it's interesting that Lucy takes over the narrative at that point because yeah. she, essentially what happens next is like Tyrion is so captivated by the fact that Lucy is now talking and like yeah. excitable about it 
that he wants to hear her side of the story. And she, she and Eustace together tell retell what's happened the last like five chapters yep. just to make sure that we're all on the same page that what was happening you, outside was also happening inside yeah the other side of the door and the other side it's it really is interesting like and this comes up with the dwarves as well like the dual realities of like inside the stable like existing concurrently with like this heavenly realm, if you want yeah. to call it that. Yeah. Um, and it not being clear where one starts and the other ends and who's right. experiencing which one of them. Right. It's, uh, it's almost like, like less than the being dead side of things, which apparently they don't know yet. Uh, it's almost more like they're angels, but that also is not theologically helpful. Um, it's not, not, you know, that's definitely inaccurate. So it's tough. Cause you but like, that's how I would imagine that an angel right. or a spiritual, they're like the greeting party, but also they're humans, not angels. So it's tough. But then yeah. also the dwarves are there, but they're not there. And also like Tash was there. And who's Tash? Like, is this heaven? Is this, like part like purgatory or some kind of waiting place is this like tbd before narnia actually like dies like the the land of narnia that they exited like are they you know are they just chilling somewhere because technically the dwarves if they perceive themselves to still be in the stable which after you know they finish all their talking they talk about how uh, how shift was thrown in and killed by tash uh, and then Edmund mentions that like a dozen dwarfs were thrown in and Eustace is like, man, I hope Tash ate them too. And Lucy's like, bro, like chill out. Like, how about you relax, man? And then they begin having this long dialogue about and with the dwarves and the dwarves are huddled up by themselves. They're blind. They think that they're in the darkness of the stable and every interaction that they have is as if they are in the stable, yet they can still communicate with the people around them, which is weird. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I guess like them being blind makes more sense to me than yeah. seeing things as if they are still in the stable. I mean, I guess it's not a huge difference. I think my brain is wanting to say this is more of like a... Harry Potter in the train station with Dumbledore in his yeah. like between state more than it is a like true afterlife, not ab but right. then again, Aslan shows up. So it's it's impossible to say. Um, it's Narnia. And so. yeah, it's kind of Narnia, kind of not yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. But as we go into this interaction with the dwarves, basically Lucy, because of her tender heart, because of her, you know, desire to see people cared for is like, Hey, let's go try to help them. And Tyrion's like, I'm going to be real with you. I hate these dwarves. They're a bunch of turds. Yeah. And you, and like Eustace is like, if you knew what they were saying, if you knew the like racial slurs they were just throwing out, if you wouldn't even want them, so, wouldn't feel I don't know if you'd be so keen on inviting them to tea with you. But like Lucy's like, yo dog, like love people. And so they're like, Hey, like, let's go and see what we can do. Um, they try talking with them and you know, they're like rejecting them They're They try telling them to like look around and see things. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's pitch black in here. Like, and they're like, are you blind? And it's like, only as blind as all of us. Like we're in a dark stable. What did you expect to see? It's in the middle of the night. And then, yeah, like, they're like, do you hear that? That's Queen Lucy, like the from from Aslan, and they're like, well, you're full of garbage. Like that's you're sticking to your fairy tale still, and like still believe in Aslan. I bet, don't you, you idiot? Uh, and they're you know trying to convince them. They hold up flowers for them to smell, and like they get pricked by like a thorn uh, where they're like because they experience what's in the in the hay and the thistles and whatnot. And they're like, why would you, you know, hold this up to me? And they come to this conclusion, like they're, they feel kind of helpless. And Lucy is like, what do we do? 
And Eustace is like, like I said, let's leave them alone. And lo and behold, Chase, who should arise? Who should arrive but Tash? Just kidding. <laughs> Tash shows up and eats all of them. What a great One story. Bite. You know, yeah. I've heard that Tash and Aslan are basically the same, depending on who you ask. I think that's like next chapter or the chapter after that. But uh, oh my God. who knows? But yeah, Aslan's back, Chase. Yeah, Aslan, Aslan just shows up. He's still a big lion. He's still super shiny. He still yeah. kisses people without invitation. Um, <laughs> look, he's not just—he's not kissing them. He's just tonguing them. Like it's—it's <laughs> it's definitely a more intimate kiss. But uh, yeah, Aslan shows up. Everyone is super pumped to see him. They fall down, bowing to him. And uh, and Aslan walks over to Tyrion, uh, which like Tyrion is shaking because he's like, "Wow, I really dropped the ball on this." Narnia literally doesn't exist anymore, and it's kind of my fault. And Tyrion uh, and Aslan is very kind and encouraging to him, and like he kisses all of them, but he also kisses Tyrion and says, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Essentially, like, yeah. "Well done, last king of Narnia." who stood firm in the darkest of hours. And yeah. that, what a sweet sentiment. Yeah. It's a really nice picture. Like, and again, like we make fun of all the weird parts of CS Lewis, but like, it's these little moments that are the parts that kind of ring with like the reason that people come back to these stories. Definitely. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because of all of the like Narnian books like obviously Aslan has been talked about and mentioned throughout this book, especially with the fake Aslan. But yeah. this is probably like I I like I don't think it's even close. Like this is by far the latest like appearance of Aslan in any of the books. Yeah. Like what we have three chapters after this. This is We've got three chapters after this. His one. first sighting. His first true sighting. And thirteen um, chapters into the last book. Like Yeah. It's I mean, it's it's wild, um, but it shows the impact that his character, that his name, that his presence has in the story, that everyone knows Aslan and expects Aslan to show up at some point, and then he does, but when it's all over, when everything is finished, and it shows kind of like, hey, that's kind of been the plan, that's the gig, you know? Yeah, which I mean really does resonate with the allegory that C.S. Lewis is trying to give is for last days, but like it also resonates with our times where we have this history of Aslan being present, walking around in Narnia with the Pevensey children and kind of the old days of like, if you want to paint the allegory for Jesus's time on earth with like now hundreds, thousands of years later, for Tyrion and for these dwarves and for the people, and you see how people are trying to process this faith in Aslan or this loss of faith in Aslan as they deal with the events that are going to test their faithfulness and ultimately come to the end of things. Totally. uh, Like, it does land. It's just so... (laughs) (laughs) You get moments... It is why Christian allegory is really tough because without it being just straight one-to-one story retelling, it becomes difficult. But these are the sweet moments where you see like this Aslan is so sweet because like it looks, you look at like Tyrion's descriptions, like this is the person that he's always wanted to meet. This is his heart's desire, but he's also terrified but Aslan approaches him even in the midst of his power and glory and terror and licks him, like gives him a kiss and is like, you've done great. You have, you have fulfilled, you've been faithful. You've done what you needed to do. And it's, it's really sweet. And it follows with a heartbreaking moment with the dwarves, basically like, you know, we have, I think deservedly so dunked a lot on the dwarves, this book. They are, you know, racist to yeah. say the least. Um, it, but like this moment, it really like hurts your heart on their behalf because Lucy, again, the tender hearted one that cares for souls is like Aslan. Like her first thing that she says to the, you know, Aslan, the one that loves Aslan the most, you know, the beloved disciple, Lucy, 
uh, not drunk, um, is like Aslan, can you, will you do something for these poor dwarves? And Aslan, knowing what is going to happen and knowing the hearts of the dwarves, says, dearest, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. And it really shows you this next scene, the reality that like Jesus is going to go like, hey, what you have chosen in this world, what you want is what I will give you. Yeah. And like, I mean, I can surround you with all of these things, but it's ultimately like you have to. So it's, it's yeah, sad. And I think it's like, I'd like the response there of, I'll show you what I can do and what I cannot do. It's not the, oh, I just can't do anything. It's the, I will do everything that I can, but this is the state that they have chosen and refused to come back from. Right. Uh, Because he does. He tries, like, he he rumbles the the whole earth with his like growl right next to their face. Like he kind of gets as close to them as he can. And they're like, Oh, well they must have invented some machine, a thing that doesn't exist in our world to scare us. And he gives them a feast. Like he like showers them with rich foods. And not only can they not see the blessing of what they've been given as anything more than like, like random stable food that they've just stumbled upon. But they also like have no inclination to be like, where did this come from? They're totally. just, well, obviously I deserve this and, and just suspicious of one another rather than looking for the hand that gave it to them. Totally. And they just continue like their phrase, the thing that this title, this chapter is titled after is they refuse to be taken in, as in they refuse to be deceived again. Uh, But the taken in language, C.S. Lewis wants to do a little kind of wordplay with of, like, they refuse to be taken in, they refuse to be, I mean, you could read it as, like, they refuse to be taken in, as in, like, brought into the fold of Aslan, uh, or in the way that Aslan puts it, is they are so afraid of being taken in that they can't be taken out of the state that they put themselves in. Yeah. It's a a beautiful and tragic line by Aslan because again, the thing that we've been saying the whole book with the dwarves, the dwarves are for the dwarves, the dwarves are for the dwarves. We won't be taken in by the Calermines. We won't be deceived by this fake Narnian Aslan. You know, we're not, we're done with putting our faith in these things. We are going to trust in ourselves. The dwarves are for the dwarves. And it, you know, really harkens to this reality that you see in the real world of people going like, no, I won't be deceived. I'm going to, you know, put my trust in what I can see, smell, taste, you know, whatever. Um, and this this line by Aslan speaks to kind of this idea of spiritual blindness, where he goes, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, yet they are in that prison. And so afraid of being taken in, they cannot be taken out. And like, you just see that it's like this, it's, it, it reminds you of like passages in scripture of like what, you know, you are, you are spiritually, you are blind and you are blind leading the blind. You are slaves and people going like, how, like, what are you talking about? We've never been slaves. We're free. And Jesus going like, I wish you could understand but you don't because you're not, you're not mine. Yeah. And like, I going to see. Yeah. It, it's it's a sad passage. And like for a book where you have hated the dwarves the whole time, it ends with you just going like, oh. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like the choosing cunning instead of belief, the like yeah. be the framing of not being willing to be deceived as the reasoning for not wanting to like take a step of faith yeah resonates with like i think humanism was probably pretty early in its development like as a line of thought in c.s lewis's time and that really seems to be the thread like that kind of more modernist like uh i mean it's not a well it is a theology but like in 
the more scientism right. side of things, people should humans should be for humans is kind yeah. of a way of like yeah. the only ethic being like the idea of seeking the greatest possible reward for the greatest number of people is kind of that track of the dwarf seem to be mirroring and right. yeah it's uh it really does putting it in the framing of like blindness and like just unwillingness like the stubbornness of it really does seem to is kind of sad yeah but as i ain't got time to deal with this no because he's got other work to do chase <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like immediately it, it for those not reading along, he goes like, "Oh yeah, it's so sad. They refuse to be taken in, so they won't be taken out." But come, children, I have other work to do. The next line, and immediately he just goes to the door, raises his head, and roars. Now it is time, 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 <laughs> and the door flies open. Uh, so. And that's the chapter. Yep. No, we don't. We're, we don't have a lot of time to grieve the dwarves uh, and their, you know, spiritual condemnation, because Aslan's a busy man. He's got a world to destroy. Like, yeah, he's got to deal with the rest of Narnia. It's uh, Narnia is about to crumble. You know, so like, uh, like the, I mean, the next chapter's title is "Night Falls on Narnia." So like, I think we're in for some real like optimism. Next chapter, next podcast. But yeah, then after that, it should get a lot better. <laughs> I mean, the next one will be interesting, to say the least. It'll be interesting. Maybe the next one is also the one where Aslan's like, oh, yeah, BT-dubs got all our dead. So, like, <laughs> sorry about that. But, I mean, there's got to be something. I'm just waiting to uh, get into some of the weirdness that comes with the last few chapters here. Not that we haven't had plenty of weirdness. But oh, there's plenty more. more to come. And and what is like i love if if this was a little bit like i wish there was a little bit more breathing room here between the dwarfs in this moment because i this is one of the few times i've enjoyed his cliffhanger at the end of a chapter yeah because you're like wait what does this mean what is going on and what he's doing is actually beginning to like reap the fruit of seeds he sowed in books past and like he is, especially the last book in the silver chair, where like it was a thing where you'd go, yeah, we walked by this like spoiler alert for the very next page, which is the next chapter, but like this weird giant called Father Time that we never dealt with in Silver Chair. We just looked at him. He didn't yeah. do anything. Forgot and about him. Didn't expect him to come back. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> tell you what uh you know some people thought easter eggs are only for you know taylor swift and jk rowling throughout harry potter but no c.s lewis is here to say yeah. i know how to do foreshadowing sometimes yeah every now and then <laughs> every now and then just saying once there was a person who superseded time in our world chase <laughs> Father, time, God. Uh, Dang it, shoot. I missed the, the foreshadowing. Yeah. Of subtlety. It was not good. But yeah, I'm excited. It's it's weird that we have three chapters left. Uh, you know, we've got to destroy Narnia. We've got to, you know, go further up and further in. And then somehow we've got to end the series. So yeah. uh, we're, we're almost there. Yeah. I mean, that is the next, that is all that's left. And that's the next three chapters. So. We've got a track. <laughs> We've got a track. Um, but it's uh, it's wild. It's, you know, and, and boy, do we have some theology for you for the next yeah. few. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, this chapter, we didn't get into some of it, but like C.S. Lewis is famous, has some famous like theology about understanding like the Christian theology of hell. And like the dwarves choosing their own like situation is very in line with his right. bigger theology of that. Right. But we're gonna hit a lot of C.S. Lewis's uh, less popular within the <laughs> within the mainstream Christian church. 
points of view in the next few chapters. Look, C.S. Lewis likes to dabble in some universalism every now and then. Yeah, Ooh, just the edges of it, though. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it is what it is, Chase. But is there anything else that you feel like from this chapter you're like, man, I you know, wanted to hit on or and anything else before we close out? I don't think so. I think we... We hit it. I think we successfully refused to. Uh, you refused to be in. This podcast is for this podcast and no one else. That's why we film and record at different times. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, and, and we are for who we are. But Grace, it's time, 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 time for you to tell our listeners where they can find all of our podcasts. Yeah, if you want to find our podcast, if you think it's time to go back and re-listen to all of them, you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you get podcasts uh, under the name Chronicles of Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where you can keep up when we release new episodes and uh, engage with us there. And yeah, uh, we will be back at some point to talk about the destruction of Narnia. Hopefully sooner rather than later, you know. Yeah, it's coming. It's we'll coming. get to it, okay? But until then, just, you know, remember that it's time. 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 Who knows? Maybe, maybe I'll get hit by a train. <laughs> Why would you even put that out there? Why, I, Chase, I want you to know. I just wanted I, to have that in recording. I don't want you to get hit by a train. I appreciate that, Cal. I like it's tough because, like, obviously, like, I want you know, I would love for you to be you know free from pain and suffering and your old age, um, and be with Jesus. But like, also, I do like you living. For I appreciate that.